You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Greetings, Ethan. Greetings, Josiah. You know what is interesting to me? All the different words that we have to... Address one another. Yeah, like and engage in a conversation. I don't know why that just struck me. Like we have like greetings, we have hello, we have good morning, we have good evening, we have good afternoon, we have hi, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just a real repertoire of words that kind of begin a conversation. And uh, that is very interesting to me for some reason. I so that just now struck me. I don't know why. The thing is, and I'm, I was about to give you a specifically false fact, it would, which would mean a it's false in fact fact. not a fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, totally inaccurate. Um, but for a really long time, I thought the word sayonara was like it had dual meaning as both a greeting and a sign off. Um, oh. It turns out that's not true. It just means goodbye. Yeah, it's just a really it. strong goodbye. Um, I love it though. That's mi- that's my favorite goodbye. Really? Yeah. Although I... its meaning is probably a lot more permanent, you know, like deathbed goodbye or whatever. But listen, I just, <laughs> I like how it feels to say it. For some reason, what stuck with me from French class in high school mm-hmm. was not how to actually speak French. <laughs> it was how to sing the national anthem, yes. the French national anthem, of oh. course, in French, mm-hmm. Christmas carols in French, two Christmas oh. carols, particularly jingle bells in, in French, and French greetings. Yeah, So, really. like, I love saying abiento or a tutelaire, um, which a tutelaire, I think, literally, like, we would translate that as, like, see you at another hour. Oh. Um, and abiento, I think, is like a formal goodbye. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? We just have so many different ways a lot of, of ways. so much nuance to human language mm-hmm. and the all classic of these things. Hiya, that's a good one. Hiya, yeah. I used to be a killer with hiya on AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah, that was my standard. Really, I got into that from watching Mash as a kid. Mash. Yeah. Alan Alda. Yeah, my favorite sitcom probably ever made. Because it's like, it's also, it's like, it's weirdly dark, but also very funny. Yeah. Um, It's just a weird product of its time. In fact, strangely enough, I don't know that I'd have ever classified it as a sitcom. I know, but I guess it technically is, right? Like, I can think back on it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think I could be cool with calling that a sitcom. I don't have necessarily another word for it, but it has a similar feel to it anyway. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Words. Greetings. (laughs) That bring us both... Joy and yeah, sorrow. True. Um, which, speaking of words that bring you joy and sorrow. Oh, my. So I was recently shocked and deeply saddened to hear a theologian I've long admired say I'm no longer a Christian. Mm. Um, he got on to Instagram and posted an Instagram story. What a way to announce. Yeah, very emotional, too. Oh, um, wow, really? Because I'm not currently on Instagram, but... Morgan, my wife, is, and we both follow this guy, and we both really like him. Yeah. And we were driving home one day, and she was like, Josiah, this guy, like, listen to what he just said. And uh, he he said basically those exact words, like, I'm no longer a Christian. Mm-hmm. And we were both kind of like, what in the world, like, just happened? Because, I mean, this is not one of those guys who, um, and I don't even mean this in a derogatory way, but this is not one of those, like, I'm going through a phase in youth group, like, <laughs> moments. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Um, I mean, this is a guy who has a PhD mm-hmm. in systematic theology. He's been in it. Uh, he has been in it. He's truly brilliant. I mean, if you go back and you had read any of his writings, I mean, there are very, very few people, who, like, you know, you say people are bright, but, like, I, this guy was... <laughs> He was leagues ahead. Like, he was on pace to become a leading theologian, like, in all of the world. 
And many of his writings kept me afloat during dark times in my own life, especially over the past seven years. Like, he's yeah. just one of those guys. And I was so flabbergasted. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a, a silly word to use, but I just, I was like, I don't even know, like, mm -hmm. what to say. I just had this sinking feeling in my gut when he said this. And as I was just thinking through everything that was happening and wondering what has been going on in his life that has led him to say this and led him to this place, I kind of started to wonder, you know, what would I even do if this man was like, say, in my church? Mm -hmm. Like, if this guy happened to be a member in my church and he came into my office and said this to me, like, what would I do in that <laughs> moment? Like, yeah. I've never, I've not personally ever had like something that drastic. Yeah. You know, that's declarative. Now, in his case, naturally, I don't have to quote unquote worry about it so much because he's not a member of my <laughs> church, um, nor am I even friends with him. I'm, I'm very loosely connected to him. But then I got to thinking, what would I do if a dear friend in the faith said the same thing? Um, I've never really thought about that. I've not mm. given that much thought before, you know, besides in that moment and then thinking, well, I would vomit everywhere probably, <laughs> you know, but other than that, like I just, I was thinking about it and I really wasn't sure what I would do. Sure. But I think the reality is that eventually and unfortunately, at some point in our lives, at some point in our, our walk with God, most of us are going to experience a moment when someone we love says, I'm no longer a Christian. I think that's probably going to happen for all of us at some point. And then, you know, that question becomes the question for all of us. It's like, what are we to do in that moment? Like, do we do anything? Is there anything we can do at all? Like, do we just kind of take it in? Like, what do we do in that moment? Yeah. I, well, I think I would be afraid of mishandling that moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's the, the, the great nightmare, you know? <laughs> like, what repercussions if I just, if I misspeak, if I, if I say something poorly? But at the same time, I think it's easy for me to imagine, like, my impulses or my hopes yeah. that I might have in that moment. I, I think it's, that's a big statement, to be fair. That, you know, yeah. that's not something you come to casually. No. And it probably has a lot of implications that are probably going to make you squirm someday. Yeah. You know, if someone makes a shift like this. But that's still someone that you love. Right. So I think, or at least I would hope that, we could have an emotionally open conversation. Right. If that's yeah. what they've come to me to say. Yeah. And hopefully th then I could just listen to them. Again, because that decision doesn't come casually. Right. Yeah. They've probably thought through exactly. all the things that you would initially want to be like, da 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 yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And I think, you know, at that point, an argument is, is wasteful. It's, it's I mm -hmm. think, probably rather destructive even. But none of that really comes with guidelines or advice, that kind of <laughs> approach. That's just very loose. Every yeah. relationship is different. So it's like, hopefully I can listen. Hopefully I can love them well. Yeah. And it's even funny. Huh, not really funny, but you know what I mean? That you mentioned that because with this guy, you had people who, I mean, I think you could tell just reading what they're saying out of a place of concern. Yeah. They were just like, like, you realize, like, you say that, like, you're setting yourself on a path for hell. And he was like, I have a PhD in systematic theology. <laughs> oh, like, man. like, I know the Christian teachings on these things. Like, right. you're not telling me something I yeah. haven't thought about. By or, Jove, this yeah, is like, new. Yeah, like, oh, that's, oh, that's right. Like, <laughs> oi, I say, you know. So, yeah, I do think, kind of like what you said, I don't think it would be helpful to say, here's an XYZ approach hmm. to keeping your friends from committing total apostasy. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like exactly. in that moment when they've, yeah. they've come to you and said that. But I do think there are some things that like generally to keep in mind that are helpful because I think even scripture approaches it that way. And I'm thinking particularly of the verses in the book of Jude, Jude oh, 22 to 23, Jude. Um, one of my favorite books, yes. a weird little, I you know, just so much going on there. But he kind of addresses this, not like head on, but I think some of the things he says in those two short verses can at least give us categories for how we would approach this. And the way they would apply is very 
I think, going to change. And hopefully, here's you know, here's the thing. Hopefully, you just never have to deal with this. <laughs> like, I really do like praying, like, you know, hopefully that's yeah. not something you ever have to worry about or deal with. But in the world that we live in, the likelihood of that is not great. Mm. So... I thought it would be helpful to take a look at Jude 22 and 23 just to see about some general helps. Let me read those two verses here. He says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So those are the two verses we got there. There's a lot of different situational applications here. There are. There are. People in very different scenarios coming at things from different angles. So... Let's consider that and allow me to caveat first by saying, I think the first thing of all is like to pray. Again, I think that's one of those things that sounds obvious and unspoken, but I do think it it really still is one of those things we just like, we skip right by that. You know what I mean? Exactly. We just do. Or I'll just say that I just do. I mean, Mm -hmm. to this day, I still do that. Same. Because your friend's faith does not ultimately depend on you. Um, I think that's the like situation we find it is like all like obviously your words and actions or lack thereof can have an effect, mm-hmm. but their faith does not ultimately depend on you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we like yeah. tend to think in that like we'd be like, oh, like it's all riding on me, yeah. you know, I mean, it really, I mean, depends on them and even more ultimately in a sense upon God. Mm-hmm. So pray to God like that's true, I think, like ask him to grant the gift of faith and repentance again. And I mean, ask him to open the eyes of your friend. I mean, ask him to do what only he can do, right? Because I mean, ultimately, he's going to have to do that. Now, of course, your conversation may be a part of God's answer to that prayer, right? So, I mean, you know, obviously it's not like this one-sided, like where it's like, oh yeah, like we just kind of sit here and do nothing. And then there's this magic, like, oh yes, like everything's, (laughs) you know, but I think we do need to begin with prayer. So bearing that in mind, we begin with the first words of these verses, which Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. So to come back to what you were saying, I think when you've got someone in a spot where they're like, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. And, you know, I, I just doubt the fabric of my, my doubt of the fabric of the faith has gone so deep that I'm willing to say, I don't think I can believe this right now. Right. You know what I mean? At that point, I think you just need to ask questions and see if you can get at why they've made this decision. Um, I think that's the most helpful thing. And one of the most merciful things you can do is to like have that conversation, be willing to listen, ask those questions. Because again, a guy with a PhD in theology or really anyone who has walked in the faith for a while and is making that announcement has thought about most of the stuff you're going to say to them about the peril their soul is in due to unbelief, probably, right? So they're probably going to know the Christian teaching on hell and apostasy. So without compromising the truth on your end, I think be willing to mercifully ask questions and seek to understand where this decision came from. Because I think in that process, you might discover that there was some deep wound that was not ever dealt with. Or, you know, perhaps the church sinned against them and never confessed it. They never dealt with that. And that's really had a tragic effect on their lives. Now, of course, you may never really know why this all happened. And here's the other thing I have to remember is like, we're not entitled to that. That's very true. We're not entitled to that knowledge. You know what I mean? But the thing is, is you definitely won't ever get to know if you're not willing to ask the questions. Yeah. And you know I, what I mean? Like, especially at a time like this, leveling a manifesto at them. Yeah. It's not going to get you to those wounds. No. It's not going to get you to like an, an inner part of whatever turmoil or doubt they're experiencing. It's yeah. not going to help at all. It just, it skims right by that. Yeah. And they're probably prepared even and have thought through, yeah. you know, what they'll say if you say something like that. So I do think that getting down to the bottom of that, if you can, by asking those questions, I think that's one of the ways we have mercy on those who doubt. Mm -hmm. I think you'd have fewer people getting to that place if when they had doubts to begin with, you would have mercy on them in the first place. You know what I mean? You could actually have a discussion. Yeah. Which again, that never means, I think some people think that means like you're, you're compromising the truth or something. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's like exactly what Jude is saying. You're just having mercy 
on those who doubt. You're not looking at them saying, I can't believe that you're doubting the, you know, you fool. the promises of God. You, you know what I mean? Like, like, well, why are you like, why are you doubting? Like, yeah. have mercy on them in that way. So that's the first thing. But secondly, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And you have these situations, I think, where you have people who are in, go with the metaphor here, you have people who are in this fire of, of unbelief, of, of sin, and I think you have some folks, and if I was going to like try to make this more concrete, I would say this is more often the case, generally speaking, of those who are a little younger in the faith, mm. where they do perhaps make these kinds of decisions like on impulse. Like In other words, they kind of just find themselves kind of falling into the fire without, you know, it's not so much like... <laughs> I'm jumping in. You know what I mean? Is like yeah. kind of stumbled into it. Sure. And sometimes, you know, same thing, like just asking questions, not leveling a manifesto, <laughs> but asking the questions and saying like, okay, like, well, why do you think that? Well, have you considered this then? Because sometimes when you ask that question, it doesn't come down to uh, like, well, I have this like deep, deep wound and I just have this fundamental problem. Sometimes it's like, well, I heard, you know, somebody say this and therefore I don't think that can be true. Yeah. And that's an opportunity to say like, well, what they said, you know, has some plausibility, but have you also considered the alternative, which is, you know, da 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 da. I've had a couple conversations like that, and that's one of the ways I think you just snatch people out of the fire. And again, mercy there, like I'm not approaching that person being like, how dare you? You know what I mean? Like, how dare you come into this church and this office and say these things, you know, and tell me that you don't believe that anymore. Like being willing to engage with that mm -hmm. and do ask the why questions. I think that's where you get really to the, exactly. the bottom. Yeah, um, for sure. And I'm kind of getting tangential here, but this is a podcast and not a sermon, so we could do that. <laughs> but I mean, like that was like Paul's strategy on Mars Hill in Acts 17. He was trying oh. to find the common ground. I mean, he's a devout, zealous Christian talking to like aloof pagans who, you know, like they worship any God they can think of. And then they have a temple to an unknown God just to be, just to be safe. You just know to, what I mean? Just to cover those bases. Yeah. But he tries to find the common ground they share first and then move on to, have you considered mm -hmm. that this unknown God you worship might be the true God? Yeah. And I think that's kind of a, a similar approach because maybe this person has just lost sight of the truth because of some particular sin or temptation and they just need to gently be reminded of the faith they confess or something like that. So I think you have situations like that. And then there are other times where Jude says to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, which mm. is an interesting. Yeah. Tell me we're going to circle back to that and explain it. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. Like, what's, what does that mean? So right up front, I think there is a time and a place to say here, I'll use a big theological term, but like if they're acting contumaciously, mm -hmm. like if you have someone who's like, they're not just saying like, I'm not a Christian anymore, but they've like somehow they flipped to like, I'm trying to think of an example of this, like, you know. Christopher Hitchens, like, aggressive level, like, they're going to come in and they're going to, like, start not only attacking you personally, but then if they remain, they're going to start attacking people, like, in the church or in your community. Yeah. Like, there's a place in all relationships, like, like set up some healthy boundaries. Everybody say, like, has to know about it and feel bad about it. Yeah, exactly. And so if they're aggressive and they're denial of the faith, exalting their sins, yeah, like, we set healthy boundaries. Paul talks about that kind of thing in, like, 1 Corinthians 5 and places like that. But notice, so here's here's the the weirdness of that expression. So Jude does not say hate those who are filthy. Oh right. Right. What he says is we are hating even the garment stained by the flesh, which seems to be a callback. Earlier in the letter, he talks about there are people who are blemishes at your love feasts. And I should have like I'm like just now recalling this to my mind because I didn't I didn't go back and research that in depth. So look at that. I'm confessing my sins. Lord forgive me. Podcasters, <laughs> podcast listeners, forgive me. But 
there's this idea that these people are staining like the pure clothing that like Christ gave them. That's like one of the metaphors that's common in scripture. Okay. Yes, um, so yeah. you have the high priest Joshua and um, Zephaniah, I think it is, or Zechariah. Zeph- no, Zechariah. The high priest Joshua appears before God. He's wearing filthy garments. Satan is accusing him, but then God removes his filthy garments and gives him clean garments. Okay. And those garments represent sinful deeds, obviously, all that stuff. So what he seems to be saying here is that you're not supposed to like level any form of hatred toward a person. It's like, even if this person is Christopher Hitchens level, you know, (laughs) contumacious, you know, like just, you're not supposed to hate them. Right. Now there is a place for saying in love, which is the weird flip on this. Like, I love you so much that I hate the fact that these sins have like stained your life and like have pulled you away from the faith that you confessed and pulled you away from Christ. And like, in the name of love, like, I wish I could destroy those sins, that I could take that filthy garment and I could put a clean garment on you. And that seems to be what he's getting at here, is that like, in the spirit of mercy toward that person, we maintain this level of reverential fear that says, I'm here, like, I love you. Like, I, if you ever want to talk, like, about these things in a, you know, genuine, respectful dialogue, like, I'm down for that. But... I will not give approval to your acts and your deeds and the life that you are now leading. And I think our problem today is like we think that those have to conflict. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And that's the way scripture almost always speaks about these things. Again, another example in Revelation, I think, 3, Jesus is commending, I forget which church it is now off the top of my head, but he says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans as I do. Which is a very important distinction there. He does not say, you hate the Nicolaitans as I do. He says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans as I do. Because there's a place where, like, those deeds are harmful and they're destructive. And, like, because we love our neighbors, we don't want them to be harmed or destroyed, right? Here's another analogy. Like, when someone I know and love is abusing their body with drugs, you know, like, hardcore drugs... I hate what those drugs are doing to them mm. because I love them. Like right. that's exactly the the tension. And I think we sometimes in our fervor get those things confused. We think that like, oh, well, like you are wearing filthy garments. Therefore, I must hate you. Well, it's easy to feel indifferent about someone that you or don't that. love. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's like it's easy to be like, yeah, well, that's their problem. It's their life. That's like not not my world. But when right. you truly care for someone and they're a part of your life, you care for their well-being. Exactly. And, you know, so I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing to say about all this is it's really easy to, I think, just close your heart off to this stuff as a Christian. Hmm. And part of the call of the Christian is to care about these things, though. Like, Christ does not give us the option to be indifferent about these yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. He that would be easy. his heart off to us. No, he did not. He was willing to, literally willing to die on the cross, you know? He was moved with compassion for people who were in situations like these. And at the end of the day, here's the other thing, is like, we're not, again, God. Like, <laughs> we're not God. We do not know what is really going on in that person's heart. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say even we think we're being truthful in the answers they give to us. We only know as much as they're revealing. Like, or there even may... as much as they know themselves. Yes, another great point. They may not even fully know what's going on. I mean, how often do I not even know what yeah. is fully going on in my own heart? Only God knows that, and we don't know what God might not do for them and in them. That's up to him, right? So, like, what I know he has told me is that I am to have mercy on those who doubt. I'm to save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, I'm to show mercy with fear. Mm. Like, that's what I know. My role is not to be God and say, well, I know your heart now, and therefore... <laughs> I can, you know, Here's how it's going to be. Yeah, treat you accordingly. <laughs> because the ultimate hope of doing all these things or even thinking in these terms is that 
people would be brought back if they've walked away from the faith. We want them to believe the gospel and come back to Christ. And uh, while that is ultimately, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit, he does that work through ordinary Christians like us. So anyway, hopefully that was some helpful guidance because, again, it differs so much from person to person. But I do think those general boundaries can be helpful to us as we approach these issues. So if this was uh, helpful and you want to leave an honest five-star review, you know, if you don't want to abandon us as listeners, you know, that'd be great. And if you have a question on this or any other topic, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can interact with us on social media. Thank you so much, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. (music) 